This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by Candied Yams, because vegetables plus marshmallows equals candy for some reason. Candied Yams. Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott. I'm alone this week, but I ask you to join me under the sea for an episode devoted to the cult cartoon hit about the crew of an underwater research laboratory in the year 2021, the great animated series Sea Lab 2021. Now, it ran for 52 episodes spanning four seasons from December 21st, 2000 to April 25th, 2005. It was created, written, and produced by Adam Reed and Matt Thompson, who came up with the idea back in 1995 when they were production assistants at Cartoon Network. The story goes that they found an old tape of C-Lab 2020 and decided they were going to record their own dialogue over it and eventually submitted it as a pilot. Now, Cartoon Network passed, but years later, long after they left the network, they decided to revisit the concept, and this time it was picked up. Reed and Thompson also later went on to create Frisky Dingo and its short-lived spin-off The Exticles, as well as Archer. Now, just on a side note, while I'm not sure if it's considered canon or not, or even if it matters, there actually is a C-Lab-themed episode of Archer, featuring a very young Captain Murphy. And there's actually a strange Bob's Burgers crossover, too. Just worth checking out. But for this week's episode of the podcast, the C-Lab 2021 episode we're covering is the second episode of the first season, aptly titled I, Robot. It was written by Adam Reed, Matt Thompson, and John J. Miller, and it originally aired December 30th, 2000 on Cartoon Network. C-Lab 2021 was actually one of the few Adult Swim cartoons to air on Cartoon Network before the formation of the Adult Swim programming block. The other cartoons included Space Ghost Coast to Coast, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, The Brack Show, and Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. So the first three episodes of C-Lab 2021 had airings on Cartoon Network in December 2000, while episodes 4 all the way to 52 aired on Adult Swim, starting months later, September 2001. Those first three episodes, of which one we're going to review, are pretty much standalone episodes. They all serve as pilots, in a sense. Another thing to note is that the episode ratings wildly vary from episode to episode. So, depending on the content, the episodes could be TVPG, TV14, or TVMA. So, that's just something to keep in mind for family viewing. Much like Space Ghost Coast to Coast, C-Lab 2021 was made of reused backgrounds and animation from Hanna-Barbera cartoons from the 70s. In this case, the reused footage came from the short-lived cartoon from 1972, C-Lab 2020. It was an environmentally-themed cartoon that was canceled after only 13 of its 15 episodes were aired. And I have to say, C-Lab 2020 was a very boring cartoon. Later, in C-Lab 2021's second season, they made an episode entitled 7211, which is actually a reference to the sequence number of the original episode that the footage came from. Now, in this episode, the new cast re-records old dialogue along with footage from an original story from that original series. 
Now, needless to say, it remains the lowest rated C-Lab episode on IMDb. It's like a 4 point something out of 10. And rightfully so. And even at 11 minutes, and with this new cast, it is terribly boring. But I really appreciate the fact they did it. It was very interesting to see. And it's worth checking out once, and that's pretty much it. Now, from purely just a visual standpoint, the show features a beautiful color palette featuring blues and oranges. It's just a, a great contrast and great art and design by Alex Toth. Alex Toth was an amazing artist. He did a lot of comic art and character design for cartoons such as Space Ghost. And if you've ever seen Space Ghost or even Space Ghost Coast to Coast, I mean, those character designs are great, including Space Ghost himself. Alex Toth is also in the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame for his comic book work. Now, speaking of which, if you're an X-Men fan like myself, you'll be interested in knowing that Alex Toth was actually the artist for X-Men number 12, which was the first appearance of the character Juggernaut. And there's a great article that I found on comicbookresources.com, and it's about that issue, and it looks at the original art and suggests that Jack Kirby may have taken Alex Toth's original design for Juggernaut and traced over it to create the design of him that exists today. And if that's true, I'm actually glad it happened, because the sketch of Toth's design for Juggernaut is pretty crazy. He has this bucket-shaped helmet, and he has chest spikes. It was probably better suited for a Space Ghost villain. Now, reportedly, Alex Toth wasn't a fan of the Marvel way, and Werner Roth joined up on X-Men from there. But that tangent aside, there's no denying Toth's amazing talent, and it's nice to see it have new life in this series as well as others. Of course, the art doesn't really come through in a podcast, but if you want to follow along, C-Lab 2020 is available to stream from a number of places, such as Hulu, I believe Amazon Prime, uh, sometimes the Adult Swim app has some episodes up, and it has been released on DVD as well. Now, I chose this episode, iRobot, because it has some really hilarious and nonsensical dialogue, really exemplary of the series as a whole, and unlike later episodes, it doesn't rely too much on visuals. Now, if you watch the series, you know there really isn't too much continuity that goes through, but this episode did actually have a sequel, which built upon a lot of the discussion that takes place in this episode, uh, which we'll get into a little later. But for now, let's get right into this episode. We start with the show's opening sequence, which features a multi-directional side-scrolling view of windows with characters and scenes in them, while the theme song by Julie Stepanek and the band Calamine plays. From here, the show opens on a tethered ship called the Stanhope being tossed about on the choppy, stormy waters at the surface of the Atlantic Ocean. On screen, we read the words Atlantic Ocean, Sea Lab Sector, 1815 hours. On board the ship, one crew member orders the other to get some slack in the line. As he pulls a lever, we cut to the ocean floor where we see that the line is connected to an anchor situated right next to Sea Lab. As the anchor is pulled to the surface, it's accidentally slammed into the exterior of one of C-Lab's pods, causing a large crack. We briefly cut to the interior of C-Lab to see the crack grow as we hear sirens and a robotic voice say, Danger! Leak detected. It's kind of the opposite of putting slack in the line. Cutting back to the outside, we see that air bubbles are slipping through the breach as we fade to black. We next see C-Lab's radio operator Sparks, his full name is Jodine Sparks, voiced by Bill Lobley, 
and he's sitting, as usual, at his spot in front of monitors and control panels. He's watching a news broadcast about a controversial story regarding a monkey named Django whose brain was transplanted into a robot monkey's body. The newscaster goes on to say that human-to-robot brain transplants will be possible within 10 years. Of course, the newscaster finishes the story by saying that Django died after drinking his own urine, and they put up on the screen Django 2015 to 2021. So I guess in our timeline, he's still okay. But all of a sudden, breaking news comes in that C-Lab has sustained major damage from Hurricane Merrill. It's from an accident that they're calling a collision with a surface ship. The situation is described as having major leaks, an implosion is imminent, and rescue is impossible. As the newscaster reacts in horror to this breaking news live on the air, Sparks casually changes the channel, and he looks over and asks C-Lab's captain, this is Captain Hazel Hank Murphy, voiced by the late great Harry Gauze, what he thinks about all of this robot stuff that's been on in the news. Now, if you notice in this scene, outside of the window in some shots, it's just plain blue. As a lot of these backgrounds were just straight up lifted from C-Lab 2020. In later episodes and seasons, those plain blue windows or those scenes with them that have like static backgrounds, they were replaced or overlaid with animated elements like fish swimming by. Murphy doesn't quite understand the question, first thinking that maybe they're under attack, then thinking that Sparks is suggesting that the newscaster was a robot monkey. It's, it wasn't really clear. Sparks clarifies his question by asking Murphy if he would ever put his brain into a robot body. And Murphy responds by saying, Why? I like my body. I love my body. As Sparks continues talking about the merits of having a robot body, Marco, whose full name is Marco Rodrigo Diaz de Vivar Gabriel Garcia Marquez, voiced by Eric Estrada, enters the control room to ask why the alarm is going off. Sparks just says, beats me, and continues talking about how great a robot body would be. While Sparks is talking, we can also hear the robotic voice coming from C-Lab's emergency systems saying, situation critical. As Captain Murphy continues to look out of the giant window, he asks Sparks if his robot body could be a beautiful woman. Sparks just says, yeah, sure. Murphy turns to him and says, then you better believe I'd put my brain in a robot's body, then continues staring out of the window at the rest of C-Lab. Marco, overhearing the conversation, rejects the whole notion of a robot body, saying that it just goes against the natural order. Sparks tries to sell him on the idea, saying that he'd have the strength of five men, but Marco brushes him off, replying that he's got that now. Murphy runs over to correct Sparks, saying that a robot body wouldn't give someone the strength of five men, but five gorillas, with the major drawback being that, you know, if you ever try to pet a kitten, you'd end up crushing it. Marco reacts in horror to this, saying, Oh no, poor kitty! Despite this, Marco is now actually warming up to the idea, and he asks Sparks if he'd still have his rugged Latin features, to which Sparks tells him he'd look exactly the same. Murphy interjects, Not me. I'm going to be an Adrian Barbobot. Sparks corrects him, saying that when one has a robot body, they look pretty much the same, the only difference being that they're only five feet tall. When Marco asks why so short, Sparks tells him it's because that's as big as they come. So basically, at this point of the episode, Stormy just saw this news broadcast and is now just this robot body expert. 
Next, Debbie Dupree, voiced by Kate Miller, enters the room, yelling to Captain Murphy that there is a crack in the hull and Pod 7 is flooding. We cut to a security monitor to see that the crack we saw at the beginning of the episode now has water just pouring out of it. Rather than now springing into action, Captain Murphy just looks at the footage and remarks that a Barbobot would weld that leak with her laser beam eyes. Sparks, annoyed with the captain's ideas, tells him that he won't have laser beam eyes. But when Marco asks about x-ray vision, Sparks says, yeah, you'll have that. Of course, Murphy takes exception to this, and Sparks settles it by conceding that now everyone gets x-ray vision. Murphy quickly adds, yeah, and big chainsaw hands, and he makes this loud buzzing sound, just out of the excitement of imagining chainsaws for hands. Now keep in mind, as this dialogue continues, throughout all of this the alarms are going off as the situation at Sea Lab worsens, and at this point now the alarms are getting louder. Marco now has to raise his voice over the sound of the emergency systems as he asks Sparks if he will have control over the x-ray vision of his hypothetical robot body, adding that he wants to see under people's clothes but not bones and guts. Debbie, who has been standing here the whole time, now reacts in disgust to the idea of just being eyeballed by robots all the time. And Sparks tries to answer her, but now the alarms are just getting louder and louder. Annoyed, he presses a button on the console in front of him, silencing the emergency systems. He then informs Debbie that she'd be fine because her robot body would have a cloaking device. Then Murphy chimes in that she'd have to choose X-ray vision or that cloak thing. While they continue these nonsensical negotiations, a video comes in from Pod 7 where a man informs them that the pod is critical and they're flooding. Murphy just says, oh yeah, that. Somebody go find Dr. Quinn. And then asks the now robot daydreaming Marco to go find him. So we next cut to Marco leaving the room and walking down one of C-Lab's many long corridors to find Quinn. As he's walking, he's still thinking about that proposed robot body, and he mutters to himself, The strength of five gorillas and x-ray vision. But why so short? Of course, Sparks is listening in and reminds Marco on the PA system that that's as tall as they come. Marco stops at an intercom panel to ask if he'd be able to chew nails and spit them out as bullets. Sparks tells him that he'd be able to do that with nails, chains, adding that he won't have titanium teeth for nothing. So cutting back to the control room, Murphy tells Debbie that nails are like candy to robots, and they'll eat tires like licorice. So now basically this what-if conversation has turned into this discussion of events that will happen in the future, of course ignoring the fact that they have no future if they continue to neglect the situation in Pod 7. Cutting back to Marco, he finds Quinn, whose full name is Dr. Quentin Q. Quinn, voiced by Brett Butler, not the actress from Grace Under Fire or the baseball player, this is Brett Butler, the actor, uh, nonchalantly informs him about the major leak. Quinn, of course, being the only competent crew member, springs into action, forming a plan. He tells Marco to work on sealing that leak while he retrieves his laser pack. Marco tells him to wait a sec and asks him the question that's now on everybody's minds. Would you put your brain in a robot body? <laughs> Quinn is like, what? Man, I don't have time for this. He then runs away, telling Marco that Pod 7 is going to implode. And as he runs away, Marco shouts to them that they'd have x-ray vision and the strength of five gorillas. Now we briefly cut back to the exterior shot of the crack at Pod 7, where air bubbles continue to leak out. Then we cut back to the control room, where yet another crew member, Stormy, 
whose full name is Derek Stormy Waters, voiced by Ellis Hennigan, has joined this great robot body discussion. He asks, if he puts his brain in a robot body, and there's a war between robots and humans, what side is he on? Debbie says, well, he'd be on the human side because he has a human brain. Sparks adds that the humans will discriminate against him, and he won't even be able to vote. And Marco worries about robots having to live on a reservation, but Captain Murphy reminds him that no one will really know he's a robot. As this discussion just gets crazier and crazier, we see in the background of this scene, on one of Sparks' monitors, a view of Quinn in a scuba suit trying to laser weld the crack shut. Back to the conversation, Debbie informs them that even though people won't be able to tell who is a robot and who isn't, dogs know, and that's how the robots will be hunted. Stormy is so saddened by the idea of being hunted for sport, and Marco says that's why they have to crush mankind. Now as Marco tells Stormy that he might as well get on board for the big win, as he calls it, we cut to an exterior view of all of C-Lab. Now if you look closely, you can see a tiny Quinn working tirelessly to weld the crack. Cutting to Quinn, we hear him angrily talking to himself, resenting the fact that his fellow C-Lab crew members are too busy going on and on about robot bodies to care about this very serious situation. Quinn mockingly says to himself, Hey, what about the leak? Quinn will save us. Quinn always saves us. So from the very first episode, we can see that this is nothing unusual. As Quinn continues to weld, we quickly cut back to the exterior shot of C-Lab to see a nearby pod completely implode, leaving nothing behind but bubbles and a scorched spot on the ocean floor. Now as a viewer, I have to ask myself, why did a water leak lead to the destruction of a nearby pod? Who knows, but just go with it. As the series continues, many things crazier than this will happen. Now this shot of C-Lab shrinks down to the top left corner of the screen, and we see that it's part of the newscast. As the anchor says, Coming up at 10, explosions rip through C-Lab. We'll have all the details, plus Chopper Dave. And from here we now see Chopper Dave. Uh, he's a helicopter pilot who shows up now and then throughout the series, sometimes as a werewolf. And here he just says, Hi-oh! As the helicopter explodes in half for no reason. So anyway, we pull back from the broadcast to see that Sparks is once again watching the news, along with the rest of the crew in the control room. As Sparks changes the channel, he gets a call from C-Lab's reactor operator, Hesh Heppelwhite, voiced by Chris Ward, aka the rapper MC Chris, who tells him that he has a few conditions in regards to his hypothetical robot body. Meanwhile, Murphy asks if everyone saw that chopper explosion on TV. Hesh continues that he'll only agree to putting his brain in a robot body if the robot is a robot cat. As Sparks informs him that he will become a cat, but a cat with the strength of five gorillas. Debbie suggests that he aspire to something maybe a little better, like a robot tiger. But Marco is vehemently opposed, saying that if he has to be five feet tall, there's no way Hesh gets to be a tiger. Next comes probably one of my favorite lines of the series, a line that perfectly exemplifies the tone of the show. Captain Murphy turns to Marco and says, You're not the boss of Tigerbot Hash. It just, I don't know, it cracks me up. Especially since it's being said in the middle of this emergency situation. Marco tells Hesh that he can become a tiger, but only if he lives in a robot zoo. So Hesh decides it's not worth it and he'll just stay human. And Sparks warns him not to expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. 
Hesh fires back, making mention of that robot reservation, saying that the humans will not honor any of the bogus treaties. Sparks turns off the video call and admits, Hesh is right about the humans turning on the robots. And the crew shares a quiet, suspenseful look as the danger of the emergency systems is heard in the background. Marco breaks a silence by telling everyone that now it's time to get serious. Captain Murphy agrees that it's been enough of this talk, and now he wants to kill a human. So just when you think they're going to finally turn their attention to this serious situation, no, their ideas are just getting crazier. Debbie disapproves, telling them that they can't break Prime Directive 2, and suggests that they consult with a man named Old Gus. So there's the talk of the Prime Directive that kind of ties into the Isaac Asimov title, iRobot, of the episode. Now cutting back to the exterior shot of C-Lab, where Quinn continues to weld while angrily grumbling to himself, another pod implodes. Now just after this happens, you'll notice in the episode that Quinn and the emergency system identifies the destroyed pod as Pod 7, which is kind of strange because that's not where Quinn is really working on that weld. And as we've heard throughout the episode, that crack was on Pod 7. But as you go through the series, you'll see that continuity, it's really not worth keeping track of. But just something I noticed here. Quinn now calls Sparks and the rest of the crew in the control room to inform them that Pod 7 is gone and they must now evacuate Pod 6. And Sparks gets annoyed and he switches the video call back to old Gus. And we see that he's an older gentleman with white hair and a mustache who tells them that the penalty for a robot harming a human is being frozen for 1,000 years in carbonite. And as Sparks ends the call, Stormy remarks how cold that punishment would be. And Captain Murphy adds that his nipples are hard just thinking about it. Stormy said he'd just kill himself, but Debbie reminds him that would be a violation of Prime Directive 3. Murphy now wonders if he'd even want to live a thousand years, even as an Adrian Barbobot. And as they continue to debate robot self-termination, the emergency systems are warning that Pod 6 is now critical. Continuing to ignore the emergency, Sparks now becomes paranoid about the idea of mechanics shutting down robots permanently. And Debbie says that that scenario is impossible because the robots would turn on the mechanics. With the strength of five gorillas, as Marco points out. But Stormy adds that it's right then back to the carbonite. And Murphy chimes in saying, And there go my nipples again. Meanwhile, Sparks is watching an exterior view of C-Lab just as Pod 6 implodes. Now, in the episode, judging by this view of C-Lab, it seems that this is the pod that Quinn had been working on. Debbie calls the situation depressing, but Murphy doesn't quite see it that way, saying that the Pod 6 people were jerks. And this will end up being a running theme throughout the show, where the main C-Lab crew that we're familiar with will often look down on the crew of Pod 6, or feel some weird sense of rivalry towards them. Debbie clarifies her statement saying that losing Pod 6 isn't depressing, it's the idea of being trapped in carbonite. Debbie also asks about brain tumors, but Sparks replies that the robot bodies will also act as brain surgeons, so it's really nothing to worry about. Murphy gets agitated and he calls that bunk. Marco agrees, if the robot bodies can't be over 5 feet, they can't be brain surgeons. And Sparks disagrees, saying that all of this is possible, considering Hesh can be a little tiger bot. And Marco dismisses that, reminding everyone that Hesh is staying human and will die in the first wave. Now as Murphy suggests that Hesh may already be a tiger bot, 
we see in the window behind them the burnt wreckage of Chopper Dave's helicopter finally sinking to the ocean floor. This is a nice touch. We next cut back to the exterior view of Sea Lab as another pod implodes. And we see Quinn, he's now swimming back into Sea Lab, and yet another pod implodes behind him. Once inside, Quinn smiles to camera, and he's happy that, while he almost died, he saved Sea Lab. And now he makes his way to the rest of the crew for some props. Of course, I don't think he saw those two pods that just imploded. Now with a strange radial wipe and something that sounds a lot like a Super Friends transition sound effect, we cut to C-Lab's mess hall, where Quinn shares his brave tale with Debbie, Marco, Stormy, and a tall bald man who just happens to be there. While Quinn tries to convey the excitement of his story, you know, he's really enthusiastically talking about how Pod 5 only had seconds left. He's interrupted by the big bald guy asking Stormy if his robot body will have hair. And Stormy replies, just on your back, like you do now. Much to Debbie's disgust. Now before Quinn can resume his story, Debbie now asks a question about robots knocking boots, to which the group, of course minus Quinn, begins to chant, Go robot! Go robot! Quinn is not amused at all, and he shuts them up by saying that he almost died saving their sorry butts. Stormy mutters under his breath, except for pods six and seven. Quinn now reprimands the group for all of their recent robot talk and their stupid robot-related questions. He tells them that the answers to those questions would quite possibly drive them insane. Now the group gets a little defensive, and Stormy asks Quinn who died and made you the robot expert. And that was enough for Quinn. He yells, oh, that's it! And he stands up, he rips open his orange jumpsuit and bare skin to reveal a metal robot body along with a chest monitor. And Debbie, Marco, and Stormy are absolutely shocked. And Quinn confirms their reactions, proudly stating that he is a cyborg. He then loads a presentation of scientific stock images on his chest monitor to accompany his further explanation. He says that because his weak body couldn't handle the viruses of the 21st century, he used his 260 IQ to construct a cybernetic host body for his brain, a body which is a cross between science and humanity that he describes as Superfly. Now as the video on his chest says Finn, he passionately tells them that he doesn't want their forgiveness or their pity, just their understanding, acceptance, and friendship. And just as he finishes that sentence, we quick cut to the exterior of C-Lab and see the whole thing implode as we fade to black. <laughs> so, that was the end of all of it. But, as we'll see, this is kind of a running gag in C-Lab. Many episodes end with everybody dying in a C-Lab implosion. Fading back from black, we get the closing credits. Now, for most closing credits of C-Lab episodes, we get the screen split into multiple windows with one of the windows showing more footage as the credits are shown on a window to the side. For this episode's closing credits, we get some Harry Gauze bloopers, as he gives alternate reads of Captain Murphy's line, And there go my nipples again. And he performs the line with different direction, and with different voices like Archie Bunker, and the sequence was animated to make it look like Captain Murphy is the one performing, and it's pretty funny. Harry Gauze was... A great actor, a great voice actor, and unfortunately passed away during the run of the show. Uh, what they ended up doing is writing off the character as fighting in the Great Spice Wars, 
and Harry Gauze's son actually took over as Tornado Shanks. He was the new captain of Sea Lab. So it was really nice that Harry Gauze's son got to take over as a captain, but not Captain Murphy. And Captain Murphy is just out there somewhere leading the forces of humanity in some war that is never addressed again. Now just some final notes about the credits. If you read them, we see that credit is given to Alex Toth and Iwao Takamoto for the original design and animation of C-Lab 2021. Also in this episode, special thanks is given to the idiot, and I'm not sure what that means. And you'll notice that Adult Swim executive producer Mike Laszlo is credited as Martin Laszlo. And that's actually part of a running gag where they get his name at the end wrong almost every time. At one point, it seems like he complained, and credit was then given to Mike, stop getting my name wrong, Laszlo, or, or something to that effect, where his nickname was uh, actually his complaint. The show then finishes with the logo for the now-defunct 7030 Productions, William Street, and Cartoon Network. Now, earlier in the episode, I mentioned about a sequel to this episode. Of course, C-Lab completely imploded, so could you really call this a sequel? You know, it's hard to tell. But, almost three years to the day after this aired, on December 21st, 2003, the episode entitled, I, Robot, Really, aired. This was episode 10 of season 3, and in this episode, Quinn gets drunk and eventually honors his fellow crew members' request for robot bodies, including Captain Murphy's Adrian Barbobot with chainsaw hands. So, Murphy finally did get to be this uh, lady bot of sorts with chainsaw hands. And uh, an interesting twist is that the human bodies were controlled by rodents since they were vacant. Despite airing more than a decade ago, C-Lab 2021 is still highly regarded. In January 2009, IGN ranked at number 79 in their list of top 100 animated series of all time. And in 2013, IGN also ranked at number 22 on their list of the top 25 cartoons for adults. And just revisiting this series for the podcast, it's really great to watch it again. It, it, they're only about 11 minutes long, so you could really in one sitting watch half a season or even a full season. And it, it's funny, at, at first glance, it does look like, well, this is just kind of dubbing over footage or reusing footage and backgrounds, which is kind of intriguing at first because it's not really something you usually see. Not quite a mystery science theater vibe where they're talking over something, but uh, more of a dub. Uh, that changes, though. Over time, the animation gets better. Uh, they do more with the characters, and there's animations completely separate from the original footage. So it's interesting to see it make its progression into a full-fledged cartoon series. And you can see where they use those skills to create that frisky dingo show that ran for a little while, and an archer now that's still running. Visually, I just love the look of the show. I love that 70s look that Hanna-Barbera had. Some of these series, they were really dull and really boring, but you cannot deny how great the look is. And just like I mentioned before about Alex Toth and those character designs, they are just a classic part of cartoon history. Really iconic when you look at characters like Space Ghost and Brack and Zorak. Just uh, enduring characters. And just the, the complementary colors, the blue and the orange, it really makes for a beautiful visual look to go along with the jokes and the story and all the craziness that we went through and other episodes as well. So it's really a great show, something uh, fun to watch. And like I said, you can knock them out pretty quick too. 
All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what your robot body can do, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. I just have one show note. I'd like to uh, give a shout out to Christopher Moriarty. He's on Twitter at Darth Shatner. That's uh, like Darth Vader and William Shatner at Darth Shatner. Uh, Christopher Moriarty is actually the director of a video on Netflix called Oscillating Fan for Your Home. A few weeks ago, Hamish and I did a painstaking review of that video, and uh, we talked all about the fan and the objects around it uh, for quite a while. And uh, Christopher Moriarty reached out to us to tell us that our review blew him away. So, big thank you to Christopher Moriarty, and uh, we look forward to your next video. And speaking of Twitter, I am on Twitter at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. There my name is also MC and Friends. And there I do flip page video, little humorous animations. You can follow me there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. We try to be creative with those. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. And we can now be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Well, I have been Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Except for pod six and seven. <laughs>